Hello everybody and welcome back to the Alien vs Predator Galaxy podcast, the original Alien and Predator podcast. This is regular host Aaron Percival aka Corporal Hicks. This is co-host Adam Zeller aka Ridgetop. And I'm AJ Bischoff aka Voodoo Magic. And welcome to a currently undetermined episode numbered of the podcast. I've got quite a few in the bag to work on, so I don't actually know what number this is going to be, so we'll see. But from the title of either the news post that you've clicked on to get here or the entry on your podcast catcher that you've chose to get on, it's quite obvious that we're going to be spending this episode talking about Aliens Infiltrator. Yes. Aliens Infiltrator, if you've been living under a rock, is the prequel novel to the new game coming out in August, Aliens Fighting Elite. It says it right here on the cover. But it says the new Aliens video game because we saw this cover before we had even seen the reveal trailer for the game. Yeah, I think it was October last year was when the cover was revealed. Someone. I can't, I can't remember. We, we had the cover reveal. Yeah, but I can't. I can't remember. It's a good thing they did that though, because they changed the game, the the name of the game, at like a month and a half before launch. So, Mm. right. But it was a nice exclusive. And I just want to let you guys know that for this very podcast, I put on some Xenomorph Defender. For anyone who read this book, you can't leave (laughs) home without it. Oh God! (laughs) You guys didn't like that idea, huh? (laughs) Well, I I did, but we'll we'll talk about bits and bobs in this. AJ, what actually was that, by the way? Actually, this is my wife's. It's called Stress Relief. I think she bought this when she married me. (laughs) And it's eucalyptus, spearmint, body wash, and foam bath. I don't know. I just grabbed it really quick for this podcast. So I was wondering if there was some Predator brand. No. Shave out there. No such luck. I do want to warn the listeners that there will be spoilers in this podcast. And, you know, we'll, we'll see for me. Um, the last two podcasts for me were alien podcasts where I ended up giving some very high positive reviews. Uh, nine for Alien into Cryptus, And then a full 10 out of 10 for Aliens. So will this novel make the hat trick? Three out of three. We'll see. Well, I'm, I'm going to kick this one off, actually. Because I don't think there's any secret. If you listen to the show, if you join in on the forums, if you read any of the reviews, I don't think it's a secret that I really like Titan's efforts. I consider the last, what, we're on 2021? The last six years or so have been something of a second golden age. While we're on this this topic, would you go, is Titan by far and away the best now overall, or Bantam, or DH Press? I was actually going to talk, (laughs) to mention that. Because as of Intercaribdis, Titan is now responsible for the majority of my top um, my top alien novels. It's now three three from Titan and two from Bantam. So yeah, I I'd probably say I enjoy Titans more, which is interesting to think as well because some of their stuff, you know, Out of Shadow shouldn't have been as good as it was. But it was good. It was good, but it shouldn't have been as good as it was based on the way that Tim Tim was you know hamstrung by some of the dictations from Fox and Titan in terms of Ripley's appearance. Now I find most of Titan's stuff to be solid. You know, seven out of tens. And like I said, they've had they've now got three three of my top novels, which are ten out of tens. Where they keep failing for me, I say keep like it's some massive trend. <laughs> Other than this one, it's been two tie-ins to video games. We've had an adaptation of Isolation, and we have had a prequel novel to Hunting Grounds, Predator, Stuck in Shadows. Both of those have been hugely disappointing as far as I'm concerned. How the hell Keith 
I can't remember his second name, thought it would be a good idea to do an adaptation of a game he didn't even play, baffles me completely. And I, I've read some of his Star Trek stuff. I like Keith's work. He did a, a short for Bug Hunt as well called, I think it was Deep Cover, which I quite liked. But Isolation, no, no. That was a 5 out of 10 for me, I think. Stalking Shadows was a waste where we spent about three quarters of the book ahead of the main character's knowledge. And Paulie's encounters with the Predators were pretty lackluster, to be honest. Every time he met one, they got killed and died. And I was like, no, 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 thank you. And I think that was another five out of ten for me. So, like I said, it's only two, but in my head... It's been over-dramatized as a, a Titan curse. These video game tie-in books, they're cursed from Titan. So when this thing was announced, when Infiltrator was announced, I was kind of like, is it going to be any good? Are we going to be able to break this? Because Weston, um, I'm not sure how to pronounce his second name, actually. I think it's Oaks. I think I've heard it pronounced as Oaks, even though it sounds or like... Osh, maybe? Osh. I'm just going to go with Weston. Okay, there you go. Now, Weston's written for both Predator and Alien previously. Yes. Like Keith, he did a short story for Bug Hunt, which was called Hero to Zero, which I did not like at all. And then in If It Bleeds, it was made Blood Path of Path, something like that. Quite topical, I think, actually, because it was to do with talking to um, Native Americans, if I'm remembering yeah. rightly. Yep. And that I really enjoyed. So Weston went in for this. One one on the love, one on, uh, one on the not love. So is this any better than Stalking Shadows and Alien Isolation? Marginally, maybe by 0.1 or 0.2. But now Titan still hasn't escaped these video game tying curse, as far as I'm concerned, because this book frustrated the hell out of me and i think it's because there was so much in this that i really liked but there was so much so much that it was overstuffed and what would potentially have been a plot point in in its own comic series or its own novel was crammed into this and nothing really worked for me and don't even well i say don't get me started on tim honaker because we are going to talk about tim honaker <laughs> fuck me i I don't think I've hated a character in an alien novel as much as I hate Tim Honaker. Like, I, I genuinely hate him. Oh, he, wasn't, he wasn't that bad. <laughs> Not in the same way that I love to hate Dorian Sudler or I love to hate uh, Kylie Duncan. I just fucking hate him. <laughs> uh. <sighs> we'll, we'll talk about it, I'm sure. But fucking hell. No, I was I was really disappointed with this one. I'm I'm somewhere like a five point one or a five point two. Depending on how frustrated we're getting this, it might just go back down to five. <laughs> we'll see. Oh. But yeah, not a winner for me, I'm afraid. AJ, do you want to go next? Certainly. So Aliens Infiltrator, you know, I think uh, my my mind also went to Stalking Shadows. And well, with this book, I don't want to, but I feel like I'm going to come off as pretty harsh. I would go as far as renaming this novel Aliens Pointless, because to me, that title feels more apropos. And, you know, it's like Aaron was saying, that's the rub with these tie-in novels, isn't it? You know, it can feel like a work for hire in every sense of the words, that the story is not organic, that it's not a tale that is burning to be told, to be released from the author's subconscious, you know? Instead, it feels calculated and constructed 
to me for a paycheck and not designed to serve the reader, but to serve the product it's tying into. I felt that way a year ago when we reviewed the tie-in novel Predator Stalking Shadows, which preambled the rise of that character Zeus from the Predator Hunting Grounds video game. And I felt it here as well. It's not that the novel is entirely bad. Weston Oaks, and I'm sorry if that's not the correct pronunciation, comes across to me as a really good writer, especially with his characters. Probably my most favorite part of Aliens Infiltrator were some of the characters like Rawlings and Cruz and the other colonial Marines who were uh, retired and currently working at Apollo Station. And they often felt real and engaging and their interactions with the scientists, even though Cruz became one, uh, was often entertaining to me. And I think that is Weston's strength here, the strength of the characters. They often feel real and dynamic, you know, sometimes cliched, you know, I think like Cruz or Rawlings has some line about, you know, I feel like a mushroom, you know, being kept in the dark and fed shit. You know, how many times have we heard that line? But they're mostly authentic. But my enjoyment didn't go beyond the characters. That's where it ended. The story is where Aliens Infiltrator falters for me. It's very repetitive. You know, they're in the lab. Creature escapes in the corridor. Gore. They're in the lab again. Creature escapes in the corridors. Gore. Back to the lab. Another monster in the corridors. Gore. You know, it's black goose science and the result makes a gory mess in the halls. Reset, rinse, repeat. The aliens don't show or are not brought in until what? 65 or 70 percent of when the book is read. I think it's a little more than halfway through. I think it's yeah. like 55 percent or something. But yeah, it, it felt like a while before we saw the aliens. And this is going to be funny, and God help me here, because I'm a fan of Prometheus, but I'm going to join Adam soon and go full tilt against the magical black goo. It's starting to wear on you, huh? <laughs> yeah, it could apparently be radiated to do anything. And next, it creates monsters right out of John Carpenter's 1982 classic film, The Thing. You know, I hold Alien as um, smarter sci-fi smarter science fiction. But in this book, it's the magical monster rat mystery door. And I hate to be this harsh because maybe this is partly due because I came off such a wonderful high after reading Alex White's Alien into Charybdis novel. It's hard not to feel bad for any author who follows Alex White. Yeah. Sean and Maguire did a better job of it last time than I think Weston has here. And I'm sure I'm going to love this stuff in a video game, but it doesn't work for me here in novel form. And uh, you add in some very illogical moments in the story. You add some numerous plot threads that are left unanswered to die. And with no real conclusion, I can't recommend this book. Even a tie-in should be self a self-satisfying piece of entertainment. And even though I feel um, Weston Oaks is a better writer than what we got in Predator or Stalking Shadows, at least that novel felt more complete with a point and a story to tell than Aliens Infiltrator did. So I have better writing and characters in Aliens Infiltrator and a better constructed self-contained story in Predator Stalking Shadows and neither gets a recommend from me. And both should have the same score. So this gets a four out of 10 for me. 
Was that how low you? Was that how low you went last time? Yep. Okay. Yep. On Stalking Shadow. Shadow. Oh man. Yeah. I, th- I thought I hated that the most. <laughs> no, I was right there with you. Okay. Blow it down. Right then, Adam. Because I, from talking to you, I don't think you've hated this one as much as we have. Uh, no, I I would say I didn't hate it as much as you did. I would say for me, it was a decent but underwhelming Aliens book. For me, it was about, if we're just all doing our scores right off the bat here, it was about a 6 out of 10 for me. So slightly above average for an Aliens novel, I would say. I think it did a number of things well in terms of having like the more individualistic aliens. I thought that bit was really interesting, especially when it deals with some of Honecker's past. And I didn't hate him as much as, as you guys did. But I thought that whole dynamic with this character from his past that just by chance he runs into and that whole situation was super interesting. By the time this podcast comes out, you may have seen our impressions for Aliens Fireteam, which Aaron and I are, are Fireteam Elite now, which Aaron and I are playing through. And this, this book does indeed tie into the story in that more than I was expecting. But I think that might be to the book's detriment sometimes. At least with this one, you actually know who the character carries on to be. Yeah. Do you remember that, AJ? No, I don't know what you're getting at, to be honest with you. In Stalking Shadows, Scott was supposed to be... Oh, they never revealed... You wouldn't know just from reading the book. Bit more of a concrete continuation here. Yeah, that was a little frustrating that they didn't reveal he was Zeus. Yeah, we had to learn that through Uh other means, which was really a fault to the book. There's a number of things, having played the, the early bits of that game, that make the book also confusing. Like, they bring in this theoretical Xeno archaeologist, and they're like, oh no, you're working with a science team to research alien creatures now, when they literally have all these alien ruins right next to the base that no one seems to know about. And there's there's these times in the book when it alludes to there's more of the base that people don't know about, or that's separated, and a mysterious character comes in later. And not much is done with that. We don't really find out anything about them i think they're just killed in the hallway like so many people just die in the hallway in this book like you were saying aj i think her inclusion was purely to push that there's more going on here than we know about kind of thing which yeah. i th- i think was daft because anybody paying it a- oh, no i say that as somebody who pays attention but anybody who does pay attention to like the extra marketing and stuff knows there's going to be engineer stuff on the planet. So if they pick it up, knowing that, it's just like, what, why Why are you making such a big deal of this? We already know. Yeah. So it's, it's a bit of a, well, it's one of those Caps 22 kind of situations, isn't it? But I did like the dynamic between all the scientist characters. I thought they were all unique and sometimes they got along and sometimes they didn't. But in the end, they all had to survive together. And I thought that was cool to see. But I think the book's problem is, is what you said, AJ, whereas it just gets so repetitive with hiding in room, running through the hallway, hiding in room. And by the end of the book, I was like, well, I just, I wanted to know more about what was happening because the more about what was happening was actually teased. It was teased a good bit. And some of that is expanded upon in the actual game, or a lot of it is actually. But for someone who's not going to be playing the game or might just read this book without knowing, well, I guess it's right on the cover, you know, it's a tie into the game, but it just feels like the book is a little too confined, which yes, we like, you know, confinement and claustrophobia in our alien book. But even for that, based on one of the things we knew, like they they teased about this other location, like this hunting lodge. And I was like, oh, cool. That'll be interesting to see. And then they just never go there. And I'm like, you set, you set this really interesting thing up that we're just not going to see at all. So... I, I do think the the time with the characters who were these really interesting scientists, they all had their unique past. It was funny that the um, 
who became the, the head scientist of the group, his name was Cruz, former Marine with PTSD, who was also doing signs on the alien. I'm like, oh, Cruz, Marvel Comics, same thing, pretty much. Did you not notice every other goddamn name in there? What do you mean? There were references to like actors. Oh my God. There were so many references to actors in this book. But it was another reason I just wanted to lob it against the fucking wall because it pulled me out every time. Cruz as in Raymond Cruz, who just had his birthday as of recording from Alien Resurrection. Oh. Rawlins as in Terry Rawlins, the editor of um, Alien and Alien 3. (laughs) Who else did we have? See, I'm bad with names anyway, so I didn't pick up on that stuff. <laughs> a load of Cruiser's squad even had a Snyder in there, as in uh, Zack Snyder. A Badejo, as in Balaji Badejo. Oh, there were there were loads, and it fucked me off so much. <laughs> so much. I hate those kind of references. The problem is it didn't have a Percival. You know, that was my issue. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Well, we've had that before, though. So. Yes. There's, only, there's only three so far. That's probably enough. Only. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so for me it was it held my attention though. It was a decent aliens book. I just felt for all the setup it was doing, it was too confined. I, I did like when I hit the fan and it was more of a survival situation. You had these different groups, like different teams of the station, right? You had like engineering, fabrications and stuff, and they all didn't like each other at first. But when I got to survival, like you had the former Marines and you had the security forces and they were, it was kind of like alien isolation where you had these different groups of humans that were going to kill each other if it meant to survive. And yeah, there was some some black goo experimentation in this, uh, and that was a little silly. The whole, we're going to irradiate it, see what it does. And I was like, this is going to end well, especially when they're setting up like the, oh, we don't know if we have enough tungsten to make the glass strong enough. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, they're not going to break out of the glass, are they? And sure enough, they end up doing that. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, well, and Yutani, you've set up this installation. It's obviously a very important installation if you're not even telling everybody what's next to it that we find out in the game, but you're going to just ship these aliens down there without making the glass absolutely strong enough. So that whole setup was just like, okay, we're setting these things up to just escape now. And it was, it was too much of that. And also, so there was like a murder intrigue thing going on, which is also kind of weird because this, this guy murders this other guy out of nowhere, but he's, He's all panicky about it, like, oh, what did I do? And then he's trying to get away with it and be sneaky about it the whole time. And this investigator's on, like, onto him the whole time. And then he pretty much causes all the shit to go down when he gets found out because he just panics and hits buttons on the panel. The big red release the fucking alien button, <laughs> which like just escapes and kills a bunch of people. So we we out of your review. Yeah, so for me, it's a 6 out of 10. Like, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the dynamic of the characters. I enjoyed the base. Although I wish it would have like shown more of what it alluded to, especially with the Katanga and stuff. So yeah, for me, it was a 6 out of 10. It was disappointing. I would really love a game tie-in to just knock it out of the park. I, I didn't hate it as much as you guys, I can tell. But for me, it was still disappointing. It was still a letdown. But if you're an Alien fan looking for another Alien book to read, I'd still recommend it. You said it was above average. You think that's better than some, some of the other Titan stuff? No, I mean, some of the other Titan stuff is great. Like, way above average. Well, what average are you measuring it on there? Like, out of the shadows, right? Like, what did I give that? Like, an eight? I don't know. We've, we've not yeah. reviewed that. Didn't we? No. Yeah. Well, Sea of Sorrows, River of Pain, like, those were all, like, eights for me. Well, no, I think Sea of Sorrows went down to seven. So, not as much as the rest of the other stuff, then? Yeah. Okay. And before I forget, 
just flicking through the book there, the person that fucked all that up is Fairbanks, which is another actor reference. I think it's Chris Fairbanks from Alien 3. And one of the other scientists is Cash, as in Daniel Cash, Spunkmeyer from Aliens. Oh, man. You pick up all that stuff. It fucks me off. It fucks me off. So met them all at the conventions. It actually didn't bother me too much. To be honest with you, reading Percival took me out of the book more uh, for a second. (laughs) You wait till you get to the Rage Wars then. Yeah, well... But I don't know where to go, but I guess to touch on one of the things that Adam mentioned is the so many damn loose plot threads, you know, maybe I'm going to miss some. I'm going to rattle some off of my head. You know, the hybridine conspiracy not concluded, you know, the hunting lodge, you know, never visited the mysterious section of the station. Pala never revealed cash. The angel of death. What human experimentation did she do? Never revealed. This just makes it such a incomplete work of fiction. If it was a middle of a trilogy, I could go with it, but it's not. And this really is one of the aspects that just hurts the book. We go around in circles and circles and circles, as I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, from lab work, monster gets out, monster kills people. Lab work, monster gets out, monster kills people. And all these plot threads are just left hanging out there. And it's so frustrating for me. See, that's one of the things where some of those elements, like Cash, Cash's history, I'll give you for other reasons. But some of the other ones, it's kind of it's kind of a difficult situation because it's supposed to set up the game. So we've already seen from playing the preview that we've got that elements are picked up and continued on in the story in the game. Significant ones, yeah. But I understand it as, you know, maybe it doesn't stand on its own, but it's part one of the story. It needs to stand on its own. But the problem is yeah. they go back. They could have left the hunting lodge alone, okay? That that deputy, he, he keeps visiting the hunting lodge. He was fired. But next thing you know, it was the big plan of the colonial marines to run to the hunting lodge because they couldn't get to the shuttle. So it's bringing it up again to the forefront, bringing it up to the, again to the forefront, and then it doesn't pay off. Just like Cash, the angel of death. They bring that up, what, in the last chapter? Or second to last chapter, and they bring that up again. It's fine if you, you mention it then. It's in the back of your mind, like, who? I wonder what that is. And if for somehow it's revealed in the game, great. But they bring it up again. They tease you with it again, and then there's no payoff. And I think this is the fault here. They should have left it in the middle of the book, not went back to it. You don't have it immediately in your mind and say, well, hey, what the hell, right? Like this ended abruptly. It did end abruptly, yeah. That was another thing is the ending. They get up to the station and then bam, it's over. And you're like, oh, okay. Did it even feel like it concluded? Not the way it was written. It could have by some guy, Honaker, you know, alone in a corridor. Everyone else is dead. You can write a novel where it ends that way and you don't know quite what happens to the character. But this wasn't written in that correct way to leave you satisfied. You just had too many unanswered questions and you go, okay, what, what was the point? It just ended with him running down another hallway, right? And then locking himself behind a door. Yeah, it wasn't once he just locked in a room wondering what the fuck was going to happen to him. Yeah, and he had his he had his girlfriend clawing at the door, and then that's how it ended, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. The whole girlfriend thing was interesting mm-hmm. to me. Just the whole fact that someone you knew from way back when just turned into a completely different person that was, like, creepy and not what you remembered, so... To conclude the other point, didn't fuss me. The abrupt so ending? Yeah, well, the, the loose ties and the abrupt ending stuff, like that didn't, didn't really fuss me. What really annoyed me is what we're talk, going to be talking about now, which is these... I love, fucking love, the idea of him coming across his ex. 
and being the host. I think it's fucking brilliant. But the thing that fucks me off so much with this book is so many elements that I go, yep, cool, want to see that in a book. Yep, cool, I wanted that to be its own story. Yep, cool, yep, all this stuff. I love it, it's interesting. I don't love it being given three chapters worth of attention and then moved on. The girlfriend thing did last a little bit longer, but like he thinks this is somebody he knows and he's really pissed off because he's like, oh, I'm going to get her out. This is wrong. I'm going to help her escape. Talks to her, realizes literally the next chapter, talks to her. Oh, she's a murderer now. You know what? I'm not so fussed anymore. I'm just going to let her die. Well, they, they bring that up too. Like Cruz, and that was interesting how when Cruz had to take a leadership role because their previous leader had been killed by the last escape test subject. And he, was, he wasn't he was part of the science team. He was more just a bureaucratic manager for them. And then Cruz, who is one of the scientists who's a former Marine, replaces him. And his dynamic with Heinecker is interesting. And after that girlfriend bit, he's like, yeah, I'm sorry I didn't listen to you. And I'm sorry how I treated you in the lab. But would you have tried to save her if she was still the same person? And Heinecker's like, well, I don't know. It's just a part of my past that I regret. It's the fact that it's one chapter, then the next chapter, and it's dealt with that fucks me off because yeah. nothing, nothing in the book, none of the interesting elements are explored enough, are given time to breathe. It's the same problem I had with Stalking Shadows, where I felt like both should have just been anthologies. If Stalking Shadows didn't want to focus on Dutch, wanted to tell individual cases where he was this legendary far-off figure, do it as shorts from people in OWLF, people in his squad. I felt the same with pretty much every interesting plot element in this. It should have been its own little thing, given the time to breathe, because otherwise it just comes off as a tick list of shit that was given to him either by Titan or by Cold Iron, going, we need this mentioned, please, and that's that. Yeah, I felt the same way with Stalking Shadows and this book that it was paced the same way. It was, if you remember in Stalking Shadow, it was action predator scene and then back to square one with the fire team, you know, or back to the base or whatever. And then a new action scene, a new a new crime scene, then back to the base. And it was recycling different events and you never felt you like you were telling a long narrative. But back on Monica, I, I, I'm with Aaron. I was initially excited that this character was introduced. I really thought this was the point in the story where it would pivot, that it was going for something more. And it was going, I was ready for Hanukkah in a desperate attempt to try to free her and essentially get all the other facehuggers released and all the alien antics would ensue in this rescue. But how she was sold, this timid woman that wanted to please everyone that turned into a psychotic killer. I just didn't personally buy it. The twist, it didn't pay off to me. And like Aaron said, the story just resumed. Hosts were face hug, and it left me wondering what was the point to have a psychotic alien ex-girlfriend to reappear at the end of the story and scratch at his door, I guess. I mean, what was the point? It was a blip and then it's gone. Ah, she's psychotic. Who cares? Uh, that stuff does happen, though. It could have been something more, though. <laughs> if he cared about her, it could have been mm. something more. Because it's him against Waylon Yutani. You know, it's him against that contract she signed and the battle within. And it could have been so dramatic. And I thought they were going to go there and they didn't. Yeah. I also thought it was really interesting just how someone you knew can change so drastically from who they are. Because that, I know that seems crazy. If it was given more time to breathe, then yes, I would probably agree with you. If that was the central point of its own book, the where it actually had time to explore and develop, then then yeah, yeah. But as it stands, as as it was presented in this, where it was just intro, explain away, move on. It's just like ah, oh, fuck off. 
Which is so annoying as well because it it would have it might have made her appearance in Fireteam more interesting. Oh, spoiler! Well, her alien, sorry, her offspring's appearance. The the resultant alien is called Monica, just for continuity's sake, to make it easy. If I'd have enjoyed the book more, I might have been more excited at that in the game. Same same for fucking Monica. Well, this was part of a media crossover event promoting the game because Rising Threat, a comic by Dark Horse at the time, was supposed to be out around the same time as this book because this book was also delayed quite a bit, as was the game, I believe, because of 2020, everything in 2020. But yeah, so we never got that comic, which also dealt with the events on this refinery, Katanga, and the refineries alluded to in this book, but never really, never really explored and talked about. From what we know of the comic, I think it would have been set after the first mission. In the game? Yeah, because it it, it was about ship. Right, it was about her on Katanga, which yeah. was confusing for me. So, But, that, but then after the first mission's done, it's like, ah, oh, we'll worry right. about the, the refinery. Uh, so it would have been a concurrent thing. I expect so, yeah. That makes sense. Also, the new administrator, like they have this administrator of the station, and after the second alien outbreak, they just ship these guys home and they have this new guy. A really interesting setup. How quickly does he show up? That was another point that was really annoying me because it's like, where the fuck was Did they have him hanging about just outside the system yeah. ready for the, the other guy to fuck things over? Yeah, Administrator Bellows. Stupid. And he gives this yeah. big speech to everyone at the station. You're like, oh, this guy's going to be on top of things and stuff. But then when there's another outbreak, he essentially makes it worse because there's this other creature that has escaped, which was essentially a black goo mutation for the murderer who was hi- hi- hiding, who fucking ate this mutated rat that had... And he's like, well, it scratched me, so if I'm infected, I'll be fine. And if not, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to mutate anyway, so I might as well eat this infected rat. And he turns into this big monster. There are so many stupid decisions made by characters in this book. So many. Yeah. And the logic is all over the place. I'll let Adam finish his point, and then we'll either go to the monster or we'll go to the logic. I was just going to finish on Bellows because I thought he was going to be an interesting new like administrator for this facility. But Cruz, who's in charge of the science team now, he's like, I'm going to shut you down. There's another outbreak and, and they're loosening my halls. And he's like, all the creatures are accounted for. They're all they're all in their holding pens. But it doesn't matter. Like Bellows, without even confirming, just sends in androids to to destroy all the experiments that he wanted to protect earlier, the same administrator, uh-huh. when Cruz had appealed to him and be like, hey, one of this, one of these xenomorphs is becoming problematic because it's it's a smart one. It's a leader for these other ones and it's trying to like get them to escape. So I want to kill it. And the administrator was like, no, you can't kill it. This is important. And then without even really assessing the situation, just not believing the scientists like, no, we have all our creatures here in the lab. None of them have escaped. It's just, I'm just going to send an androids to kill them all while we don't even know what's going on. And then he spends the rest of his book, uh, the rest of the book hiding in his office and just being this scared idiot. He was so fucking irritating as well. Again, for that point, you know, I I often say on these discussions, there are so many what seem like stupid fucking corporate decisions that seem unrealistic and not like they'd ever happen in the real world. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, they would. There are people this stupid. But then this book, this book gave me some fucking ridiculously stupid corporate decisions where I'm like, that's not that's like the the fucking bit later where the cruise is trying to get them to send security to do its fucking job please and clear out these aliens and they're like you know what 
we don't feel like that comes under our job description. We think that's more <laughs> of a colonial marine thing than us. So we're just going to sit here and leave it. Are you talking about that masterful plan they had at the end of the story, you know, yep. where they were going to wait in engineering for... No, I'm on, I, I'm on about Bellows when he's talking. Oh, he's... oh, okay. No, okay. there was the mysterious character, the, the woman that was like, oh, we heard your distress, distress call, but she ended up being some mysterious character who was from a different part of the station. She was the one who said, we don't find this under our purview. This is a colonial Marine thing. And I was just, yeah, that part was confusing for me as well. Well, they were waiting for the Marines to arrive. Uh, it was you fucking know? stupid is what it was. But yeah, Well, yeah, it's stupid. The logic, it's what Adam brought up in the beginning about why would you hire um, Honecker, who's into... Uh, and then Shanghai him into a biologist, but he's nothing to do with him. It has nothing to do with his... Well, how does that help Waylon yutani You know, there's so many aspects in his book that makes my eyes roll. Like Hyperdyne's big es- espionage plan is rats with transmitters <laughs> that they put in a box so yeah. Fairfield can release into I the I thought they base. would be synthetic rats or something because it's hyperdyne this is the best they could come up with they can't be like robotic little bugs well now it's even worse really when you think about it because the plan is we're going to use these rats to map the station but we've already hacked into the system to transmit this data so can you just transmit the schematics of the base yes Yes. The rat stuff was only in there to set off that fairbanks thing that's all that was about yeah, yeah, but it was it, they could have come up with a better idea. Well, no, I'm, that's what I'm saying. It, it was it was shit because yeah. all it's uh, the only purpose it served was really to set up this idiotic decision to eat the rat and turn into a monster. And 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 if you think about the the stupidity, just continues and continues and continues. It's like uh, Leon eight ninety five. No one gives a shit. Two days after yeah. it gets loose, this this invisible killing machine is running around the base, and we'd pretty much forgotten about it by now. I was like, wait, what? That really, really <laughs> fucked me off as well. And people really are walking in the corridors freely without any concern. They're not even like matched up with security guards. It got it got one sentence, I think, at some point during all that until it needed to show up again. This thing would be in lockdown in any kind of reality. Mm-hmm. And people scared. It should have been as bad as the alien outbreak in terms of... It slaughtered people, and I think it said it's the size of almost a human, you know? But they just continued on with research and, like, daily duties and stuff, and they literally say, we had almost forgotten about it. And I was like, wait, really? (laughs) Like, so... Yeah, the book definitely had those moments where it's like, come on, like you're making nonsense decisions here. So much incompetence. And I think they even say that. Like, Cruz tells that to Bellows, he's like... The, the incompetence here has just been, and I'm like, well, yeah, like it has. <laughs> There's not being realistic in an incompetence. And this just goes far to, it's just not yeah. realistic. It yeah. makes the reader roll his eyes. And, and even that master plan at the end, unless you guys could explain it to me, where they're engineering for days and the, the plan is to let people starve and then hopefully they'll come around. But they're giving enough time for chestbursters to grow in aliens in the mess hall. And then they act surprised when they escape from the mess hall, when these things constantly spit on acid on every wall to escape. I'm like, what kind of plan is this? And that bit should have been an awesome fucking set piece, the whole yeah. aliens in the mess hall thing. But do you know what visual scenery I get given? Them piling people on top of each other like fucking logs. 
oh, it's not even that. They were they were moving chairs and tables. And I'm like, this is not how I want to vision aliens. I, I know number seven was controlling them, but I don't want to imagine these aliens moving, <laughs> sliding tables and chairs and clearing out an area. No. No, well, there, there was even a moment in the lab where because seven is the smart alien who's become like the alpha alien mm. and it like telepathically communicates to another one of the aliens that has escaped. And the scientists notice that they can feel like a, a tingle in their heads when it seems like the aliens are communicating with each other. And that was interesting, like the little tease of like, oh, maybe it's telepathy or some sort of inten- internal antenna or whatever. I think that was just Cruz that felt that right. I think Honecker said mentioned okay. it as well, yeah, because Cruz pointed it out to him initially, and then he noticed it another time. But anyway, Seven Seven tells the alien telepathically, I guess, to press these buttons to release the glass, and the alien presses the buttons on the panel, and I was like, oh, this is a stretch. Like, I mean, it did kind of uh, echo the alien resurrection thing, where it's like, oh, they're smarter than we think they are, and we're testing them behind these glass holding pens and stuff. But it's worse, Adam, because I'm reading this book and there's a point where one of the humans, I forget who, alludes that the humans are playing checkers, but possibly number seven is playing three-dimensional chess. Oh, radiated black goo did this? No thanks. No thank you. (laughs) Annoyed Uh -uh. me so much as well. I don't like it. But the the whole, the aliens couldn't be smart without black goo. I was just like, nah. Yeah. A three-dimensional chess. <laughs> Come on. Well, to be fair, maybe it didn't need the, the goo for 3D chess, but just in terms of intelligence, being able to lead a pack kind of thing, I was just like, oh. And I know that was a metaphor, but geez, I do not want a Borg queen. Hey, the 3D chess was classic, not next gen. Star Trek, yeah. Yeah, True. Borg was next gen. But Aaron, I did, I think of you with number seven when those juvenile aliens crowded around number seven to protect it at the end. It reminded me, I know you're a big fan of Stargate. The Stargate. And it yes. reminded me of all the children that surround yeah. Ra to protect him from I being had shot. The exact same thought. Okay. Nope. Yeah. Yep. I figured you would. Yeah. The mess hall thing, I thought, was something that had the potential to be on par with Labyrinth, just going back. You know, that whole farming sequence in Labyrinth that is to this day still one of many people's favorite moments from the Alien Expanded Universe. I just think imagery-wise in here, it paled so much in comparison. So much in this just does not meet potential. Yeah. There were a couple characters where I was like, well, what happened to them? Like, there was the interrogator guy who was arresting Fairbanks. Well, the woman got killed, I think. I know she got killed, but it didn't mention him getting killed. Like, I went back and I read it. I was like, what happened to... Was his name Tacker, I think? Something like that. But he's not important. Those people I know, but at the end of the day. See, they set him up as like this... You reckon? Well, somebody when, when he in the interrogation scene, when he was interrogating both of them, I was like, oh, this is like the investigator guy, right? Like, he'll play a part here. And then he's just never mentioned again after that. Well, it's, it's because they move on from the investigation really quickly. Right. And there's so many characters, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, Bellows was also in the office with the chief of security, Cynthia Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. And she gets on and talks to them, but we never hear from her again in the game, actually. You you find out more about her. But I'm still like, for someone reading the book, you're like, wait, so Bellows was in the office with some with the chief of security, and we just, that's just, okay, that mm-hmm. that's all we need to know about that, apparently. And he just gives them the code. He's not like, I'm, I need you to get me to the shuttle, and then I'll give you the code. Why wouldn't he just lie about the code? You yeah. Know? They fuck them all over at the end of it. 
Yeah. And that guarantees they can't leave without them. I mean, that's what I would have done, but I don't know. But you know what? To take a break from ragging on the book, Adam's talking about the characters. <laughs> I found many of the characters in general very engaging and fun yeah. to read. The scientists team, especially. Uh, not for me. It was more the colonial Marines. You know, I think Rollins was my favorite character. I gravitated to him right in the beginning when he welcomed Honecker onto Apollo uh, Station and was laying out the ins and outs and the idiosyncrasies of Apollo Station and its people. And he was a great observer. I didn't love him at the end when, you know, the alcohol started consuming his personality. But before that, I was really gravitating to him. And I, I loved how you would salute with his uh, mug, you know, right, yeah. off, right from his head. So I found him engaging. The back of the book mentions Honaker and Rawlings. But did you guys feel like Cruz was more of a main character than than Rawlings was? Because I kind of felt equally to me. Yeah, I, th- I think the book sets up Rawlings early on to be the big one because he's the one that sets up this ad hoc group of of ex colonial marines. Yeah, but then by default, Cruz takes command of that group because he's the head scientist, and Rawlings is drunk. Yeah, and that's yeah. when it feels like Rawlings. I I agree with you very much there, AJ. Rawlings was the only one that really appealed to me early on. But then yeah. by the end of the book, I was fucked off by him. <laughs> yeah. Well, the whole concept of the former Marines setting up a like a battle buddy group or whatever, that was interesting how they did that. Like, yeah, like the whole that. dynamic of, oh, we're ex-military or not ex-military, former military. And so we need to look out for each other in case something goes down, which they all know something's going to go down because of these continuous outbreaks that keep happening. And they're only doing so much to mitigate that. So, yeah. But the whole dynamic of setting up this group of former Marines was interesting. And some of them, how they were dealing with their PTSD, be it through alcohol or be it through Cruz, who was... And again, he kind of dropped that line, but he was doing these unsanctioned experiments late in the night. And another one of the scientists accused him of like being a sadist on the test subjects or something. But that doesn't really go anywhere. A lot of things don't go anywhere. Yeah, a lot of things (laughs) don't go anywhere in the book, unfortunately. We're back to ragging on it again. But I agree with Aaron in regards to Honecker. I mean, our lead protagonist. I mean, I found him to be the dullest character on Apollo. I mean, he was so plain, so vanilla. Yeah, yeah. He felt so inconsequential to the station and to the events that occurred around them. You know, every time the story focused on him, I I wanted to go back to Rollins or Cruz or any other ex-colonial. I I didn't mind him as much. He was just the new guy who who was there on false pretenses. And I liked his dynamic with some of the other characters, especially him and Cruz, when Cruz is like, yeah, I don't like you all the time, but you're still one of us. Like, I dug that part. I could hear you groaning, Aaron, where he hands him the pistol and he just looks down the barrel as soon as he hands him the pistol. And I'm like, really? You've already had weapons training while you're here. You're just going to like that was why i found that so super fucking annoying as well because we have a chapter where weston gets to talk about all the stuff that's on the pulse rifles i'm xenopedia page and teach honaker how to use use a rifle and then the moment he's given a pistol later on he's good The mockery of it all is he said after that, I watched action movies. I know how guns work. We all watch action movies. If none of us handle the gun, we know where the bullet comes from, right? It comes out of, and we know where the handle is and where the trigger is. That's what Cash says, too. She's like, that's where the bullet comes out of. He's like, oh, yeah. I'm like, okay. Well, I mean, even even early, his only point of purpose in this book is to be reader's intro. 
basically, because he's the new guy on the station. That is his literal only purpose. Cruz compares him later on to being an undergrad. He's just running around the fucking lab doing menial shit for us. And nobody questions why the fuck he's there, really, from what I remember. Nobody's like, why is this Muppet with us when he can't contribute anything towards it? And then even later, talking of inconsistencies and stupid character stuff, who was it who called him? It might have been Cruz or Cash. Calls him the the most intelligent man he's ever fucking met and is the best of us kind of thing. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? He is the (laughs) dullest, stupidest character that has ever graced one of these books. And I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with I think AJ overall in terms of saying I didn't find anybody re- outside of Rawlings early on. I didn't find anybody in this book interesting or likable. And for me, that is the cardinal sin. People don't have to be likable for me to engage with them. They have to be interesting. Like Cold Forge, nobody's likable. <laughs> but as long as they're interesting, I am well on board. Nobody was interested in this. People had the potential to be. There's this whole fucking thing of you think these scientists are good. They have histories. They are fucking all sorts of dodgy stuff. It's like AJ mentioned earlier with Cash and the whole angel of death thing. I would have loved to have learned more about yeah. that because otherwise she's seen as this really, especially towards the end with some of her choice of language in terms of the situation. It's like they just went, let's turn on the PG-13 dial a little bit for her. I thought she was a, an interesting character and I thought some of the former Marines were, but yeah, I, I agree that they, they weren't developed enough as characters to be as interesting as they needed to be, some of them. And there were a big group of characters that, or featured in the books, so the writer only went into them so much. But I did like the moments, even with Fairbanks, when he's like thinking about his past and his university days and talking about his previous relationships. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. People like were going into their past a bit and people's just normal lives growing up in the future. And he's like, well, my life just amounted to this. And I'm like, that's kind of interesting. I would have liked to have seen that expanded upon more. And some of the Marines do the same thing where they're talking about their like internal dialogues or sometimes they're talking to each other too about things that have happened to them in their past and how they feel about it. And I was like, those are interesting moments. But again, they're just fleeting. They're too they're too quick i gravitated towards the colonial marines but not the scientists i didn't find any of those guys interesting except Cruz, which was previously a colonial marine but that whole science department actually actually guys about the science and I, I don't know about you guys but a lot of the science in the lab felt ridiculous to me like yeah Junk science is probably the yeah. wrong term, but it felt eye-rollingly flippant at times. Not We're going to freeze this and all. set it on fire. Like. Yeah, <laughs> let's do this. Let's try that. And how about this one? You see Rat X? We took DNA from a local spider and added it to Rat X to see what the interaction would be. Why? We don't know. It and sounds cool, it I guess. And made sure it could camouflage. It read like a 13-year-old's interpretation of science. Yes. And the real reason is they needed Fairbanks to become this spider monster, you know, later in the story. But my mind felt very numb after reading some of this stuff, you know? And I don't know about you guys, but all right, all right, I'll get into it. Fairbanks monster, right? What was it? Uh, It was a horrific shell of a man, you know, sprouting spiderous legs. 
With his own legs dangling uselessly yeah. at the bottom. Yeah, they shrank apparently. Yeah. Big mouth with sharp teeth taking up. And he's chopping face. heads. Now, if this doesn't feel straight out of John Carpenter's 1982 film, The Thing, I don't know what is. You know, the monsters in that movie were so creepy because they were, those monsters were humans that are grotesquely distorted, sprouting new appendages like spider legs and like tentacles, resulting in a monster that, you know, wears the shell of a human but clearly isn't it feels like an abomination of everything your mind registers as human and that's what makes it so scary and that is what the fairbanks monster feels directly pulled from here and the film even directly pulled the name right they had something in the thing called the blair monster and blair was the original human's name just like fairbanks and that's what the crew called it on set the blair monster and you know and these thing creatures like to chop heads in the movie and i'm just fearful here guys is this what alien is going to become infectious black goot why do you think i've been so nervous about the black goo yeah yeah i mean is, is alien going to lose its individuality here you know, the thing that makes it special, they're going to become thing monsters. Yeah. And that's that's always the problem I've had with the whole pathogen dynamic in the prequels is I love the thing, right? I love Resident yeah. Evil, but I don't want Alien to become another virus thing. Like those are things those franchises do well. But now I'm seeing more and more of it in Alien where, oh, this thing's a zombie now. This thing's a giant mutated monster now. And I'm like, eh, that's not really why I, I, I'm into the aliens. You know, I'm into it because the mystery of their past and now that's less mysterious. And it's like, well, black goo somehow. And it mutates them further and it mutates everything. Don't don't think about it. And it's just like, uh, yeah. 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 I'm joining Team Adam here. <laughs> Sorry, Aaron. I think it really depends on execution when it comes to the black goo. When it's handled in this book, the way it is where it's so wishy-washy in terms of we've irradiated it, we've... Well, I guess that's all they really do, isn't it? We just irradiate things in this. Well, it's like we inject it before the alien implants them or after the alien implants them. Which in its own, (laughs) again, in its own vacuum, that's interesting. I love the idea of them experimenting on hosts to see what happens with the resultant aliens. Because that sort of ties back to... Mixing spiders with rats? (laughs) And they honestly said... Wait, we, I'm not talking did, that part. I'm not right. talking that part. But he honestly said we wanted to see what happened. We wanted yeah. to <laughs> Okay. I'm thinking more in terms of like, you have things... It harkens back to some of the older EU where you have like leprosy, stunting alien growth in some of the old EU. And then you have... I forget what Purvis had in the book. I think it was some thyroid issue or something that stunted his alien and resurrection, but that was only in the novel. But I like the idea of them fucking about with hosts and then seeing what happens to the alien that comes out of them it's a slippery slope yeah but again execution into cryptus did it pretty well Mm. but then when it's so wishy-washy like it is in here don't get me wrong i like the thing you should love the thing i love the thing (laughs) and i think there's some interesting stuff there but just the way it's handled in here is is what i'm not interested in you know it is again so crammed in there that it feels just sort of brushed off to be a point that gets made into the into the story and it's not but the infections, right? And how did this infection happen to the Blair? See, there you go. The Fairbanks monster. <laughs> how did the infection happen? Was it because of the bite or was it because he ate it? I guess you don't know. Well, the point is, yeah, it don't matter. If, if the bite did it, then. And that's just like the thing too, man. All it took was a bite, like from that dog. 
I don't know, man. It's just a slippery slope here, and it's uh, it bothers me yeah. so much. Yeah, with the pathogen, yeah, I'm still – you look at the EU, right? And we've had things like the royal jelly and stuff in the past, and so – And a xenomorph defender. Right, a xenozip. And we've gotten into the alien biology and, and viral things involving that before. But with the black goo, it just seems like there's no consistent rules. And sometimes it's handled well, and sometimes it's not, unfortunately. But I guess they're just doing what they can with what the prequels have given us. Like, even, even in the RPG, I think the, the RPG handles the pathogen pretty well. Like, how they integrated the William Gibson, like, werewolf-type aliens yeah. with that. Like, I thought that was super cool and super creepy how they set that up. So there are moments where I'm like, okay, I can I can get on board with this. This is cool. Again, it always comes down to execution yeah. at the end of the day. If, if it's a stupid fucking blunt hammer approach to it, Sometimes it feels like what you're get you're getting away from what was great, you know, with alien and aliens. And yeah. is the beast cooked? And do you need this to to make this still interesting? You know, I don't believe so. It's just one of those avenues for exploration. Again, execution is gonna depend on the person doing it and I guess the ed- editors at the end of the day, the dictates that they've been given. Because ultimately it's like I think you and I both agreed that this just felt like work on committee kind of thing this is what the bosses have told him he needs to do this is what he needs to do and that's it you know whereas when you have things like alex white getting to do what the fuck he want uh, what the fuck they want basically and we end up with this really interesting thing with blue marsalis as a result of as a result of the black goop. So yeah, I didn't mind it there. Apples and oranges. It depends on the person doing it. It depends on the dictates of the book. It's, it's one of those things where it's either going to suck or it's going to be awesome. Yeah. I, I, I can't condemn the concept. It's just the individual. I just think the black goop creates more problems than, than cool things. (laughs) It is just an extension of the Royal jelly. This is nothing that the franchise hasn't had for 30 years. It's nothing new. It's just a different name and a different setup. It's just, you know, um, the Predator and the, the the version we never saw with all the, the hybrids, even though we're all curious to see it. It sounds like such just a, a mess of all these like Release Predator the spiders jet. and Predator. Yeah, yeah. And, and Predator spiders, Predator monkeys. If they do this in a movie one day. It could go horribly bad and just really hurt the franchise. And I just would hate to see that. And and you're right, Aaron. If it was handled well, like an Alex White novel, but if it was handled badly, ooh, it could do damage. Well, they already handled it badly in Prometheus. The dude has the worm in his eye, and now she's <laughs> pregnant with the no, monster. Well, no, I don't think it was excessive. Now, like. I don't think it was like the monster <laughs> mystery tour we got in this thing here and the, the junk science we got in this thing. And, and, and speaking of science, so what do you guys think about the Xenomorph Defender? You know, I mean, this pheromone spray. Well, pheromones have always been like a thing in the yes, war too. So. It's, it's always been a thing. Yeah. The only time I can ever really think of it being, listeners, correct me if I'm wrong here, but the only time I can ever really think of it being used majorly within a story was Stronghold, I think. And that's it. That's all I can think of. But the concept of pheromone camouflage has been around for ages, I suppose. But wouldn't this be a big game changer? In the alien yeah. universe, if this sticks and oh, this God, concept yeah. sticks and it's worn by the colonial marines, it's like when the humans would cover themselves in zombie blood in Walking Dead and not be noticed. Or mud in Predator. 
Come on, you got to give it that one. No, uh, no, 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 no. Because eventually they're going to notice the movement, like the rocks, you know, like when he throws the rock and it lands and stuff, you know, he's totally still. He kind of figures out he's covered in mud. But I mean, this one, you could just walk among them. You know, this would be like the Fairbanks monster. The uh, the xenomorphs did not attack. I forgot the number that goes after xenomorphs. Don't yell at me, alien fan. One, two, one. One, two, one. They don't attack the Fairbanks monster. Did they attack no, no, they didn't attack each other, uh, they, you know, and I guess it's because, you know, they're, he's part of the black goo as well. And you can, you know, apparently you could just walk around with the spray on you singing. Jaka, Jaka. That was a little silly. But one thing that was also kind of confusing is that that scientist who created this pheromone spray, initially he's testing it on rats and, and the first rat they just send in and the alien kills it. And the next rat has a pheromone and the alien picks it up, examines it and throws it onto the glass and it just splats yeah. onto the glass. And I was like, well, had he just not perfected the formula yet or did the alien figure it out? He got too close, maybe. I can't remember if there was mention made of him making any changes to the formula. No, he said the only problem was it, it didn't last, right? After two hours, he had to hide under a corpse. Well, he did say the formula is not finished yet, but it didn't okay. specify him making any changes. It worked on him singing uh, nurse. Yeah. Uh, uh, nurse scene, uh, what, no, what he literally nurse like pets the yeah. side of the xenomorph's head as people are like dying. <laughs> and I'm like, did he just lose his mind or something? But yeah, I'm like, when did he become a mental patient? That really fucked me off as well, because he seemingly goes insane and yeah. everybody's like, dude, are you OK? What the fuck's <laughs> happening? And then he shows up towards the end of his book. He's like, nah, I was just singing just to see if noise made any difference uh, to the aliens as yeah. well. And, and again, that was another point where I was like, fuck this book. <laughs> Guys, you don't know the half of it because I read half of this book on the page and then half of it in audiobook. And that part, I'm driving in the car with the audiobook. And with the guy the singing it. Oh, yeah. I got the windows open and it was Bronson Pinchot, which, by the way, is a famous comedian from a sitcom in the 80s called Perfect Stranger. He was called Balky, but I don't know if that's before some of your times. But back on point, yeah, I, I'm, I'm in the car and the windows open and it's and I'm like, please don't look at me, people outside, you know? The narrator going for the French accent bits were were fun. Well, yeah, uh, Etienne, right? And he he, mm -hmm. he he would speak in a French way. He would follow things up like, don't you agree? No. But I mean, just the no. audiobook reader, yeah. how he would say it in the French accent was fun. Did you do your simultaneous thing, Adam? I did, yeah. Okay. So I, I read the book on Kindle with the audible narration sped up. It still gets it. Just, it helps me focus so much better, and I, and I have the retention. Although there were a couple times where I got a little tired of it, and I went back to reading the old way, and I just... The old, the old way. Then I just pick it back up. So I think with, with the next book, I'm going to be like, yeah, I'm just going to read it like I used to read these books because it does feel like it's better for your mind, I guess, if you're just reading everything as opposed to... But I mean, I'm still comprehending it, right? Someone's reading it to me and I'm looking at the words and it's highlighting the words as I'm reading it. So it just helps me stay focused and my mind not to wander or whatever. Right. Yeah. I get the audiobook to listen to when I'm driving on my rereads. So like the first time it was it was purely reading, but then to make sure I finished it in time for the podcast, I'd listen to half hour on the way to work, half hour on the way home from work, read in between kind of thing. Yeah, it's, it's a good option to have. I'd never do it Adam's way, but in terms of just being able to listen to a good few chapters while I'm driving, it works for me. Yeah, I couldn't do it Adam's way either. 
I just noticed like when I did it that way, I would go back to previous pages less because because sometimes how I would just read a book before, like the normal way, I'd be like, wait, what happened with this? And I'd flip back a few pages. Oh, yeah, that's right. And I found myself just doing that less and being more focused when I had like multiple sensory inputs and in, in reading it this way. And I've looked it up and I'm not the only one who reads books this way now. I mean, there's a reason they they have that feature. I mean, obviously, some other people get benefit from it, too. But yeah, i am kind of gotten to a point where I'm like, and eh, the next book, I'll just read it how you read it. Well, hey, if it works for you, it works for you. Yeah, true. Uh, we'll still take pace, but as long as it works for you, that's yeah. fine. <laughs> Otherwise, great book, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I actually really struggled <laughs> to pay attention. I struggled to want to read this book. Yeah, me too. It didn't feel like it was going anywhere, did it? And that only really happens to me when it's when it is something that I'm really not enjoying. So I'll I'll burn through like the first hundred pages because I'm super excited that I've got a new book, and then if I hit that wall, then I'm just like. <sighs> It, it happened with the um, the Covenant prequel as well. I was like, yes, new book, 100 pages. Then I was like, you know what? I'm not really enjoying this. I'm not, I'm not too keen to keep going. If we're expanding our book judgment beyond just video game tie-ins and we're saying prequels, would you say that Hunters and Hunted is the best prequel novel? Well, yeah, Hunters and Hunted is the best prequel novel, but it's also a really good fucking book anyway. Yeah. Not just not just on the measure of these prequels or adaptations, because I really didn't like the Predator adaptation either. But I really liked Alan Dean Foster's Covenant adaptation. So again, apples and oranges when it comes to that kind of thing. I think it needs to exist on its own independently and be a good source of entertainment, you know, and have a beginning, a middle and an end. And it doesn't mean it can't end on a cliffhanger. It just has to be written correctly, you know, and there are just way too many cliffhangers here. Too many threads just left dangling for me to feel that it was a complete book. In essence, you know, it felt like it added to my boy, was this a waste of time? And I, even if I get the answers in the video game, you know, I mean, am I ever going to want to re-engage with this? God, no. God certainly, no. Yeah. I'm certainly not going to feel satisfied. Well, maybe uh, Aaron will in like 10 years, like Hunter's Planet. Oh, let's visit this. Maybe it's not as bad as I remember. I mean, that that's an entirely different thing. That That's not going, oh, this was fun. I'm coming back to this. This is me going, was it really that bad? Yeah. Yeah. Let's find out. <laughs> yes. Yes, it was really that bad. Well, we need to schedule in Forever Midnight because I want to see you get mad, AJ. Uh, I'm tired <laughs> of getting mad. It's the next book I want to do, but we've got some stuff coming up, so it might be towards the end of the year. Let's be honest here. Yeah. What did you guys think? But again, because this is another one of those things where I was really interested, but I was pissed off by how it was done. It had a great setup, I thought. I mean, that's not where I was going with this. <laughs> well, <laughs> it sounded like, I mean, like... Let, 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 let me finish. Then. All right, go for it. So one of the things I find really interesting is non-military applications for the aliens. You know, everybody's always clambering over themselves to get a copy. Um, urban pacification, as they like to talk about in Resurrection. But the non-foot soldier kind of application of the aliens is something I really find interesting. And not enough things explore. And in this, it, it takes about three quarters of the book for them to finally explain how the fuck they did it. But, you know, the big thing in this was how they'd developed some acid-resistant armor for the Marines in this. I'm not sure I brought how they did it or how it's described in the end because the way they described it, I had images of them just fucking wrapping an alien's ribcage around them. Genetic armor or something? Yeah. yeah. I was like, I don't, I don't see how this works, but how did you guys feel about that one? Was that another one of those missed opportunity things or did it did it work for you? 
I'm kind of with you. I'm like, couldn't they just have developed an acid resistant armor with some type of composite metal? Like, I mean, they had, they obviously had acid resistant material with the glass. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't executed well enough for me to enjoy this or to, to reason it or be fascinated with that. No, nor the, uh, the Leon, uh, camouflage <laughs> they were chasing, you know, I guess colonial Marines were going to go invisible or match the wall. I, I would imagine an alien can still find them. So they'd be invisible to humans. Would they be invisible to aliens? No, not unless they're wearing Xenomorph Defender, you know? So, uh, I don't know. I don't Aaron- know. You know, in the second Fireteam Elite trailer where we see that white creature with like the tentacles coming out of its mouth? I think that was a Leon. Yeah, that's what I was wondering if that was supposed to be that. Wait, the tentacle coming out of the mouth was that dropped alien from aliens, right? That James Cameron idea, the one that works on that. It was a bunch. It wasn't just the proboscis, as they like to call it. Yeah, it was like a thing mouth, right? You have the big teeth with the tentacles coming Mm. out. Oh, okay. I did have one thing I actually quite liked. All right, let's hear it. Just genuinely liked, and that was how everybody's job title in this book was like some sort of military type rank. Security specialist. Yeah. Comtech. That was part of their identity, and I thought it was very much a um, a corporate thing that I don't think they've really done. Yeah. Anything else has done with this, and that was kind of like a, okay, yeah, that 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 works. And that is the one thing I genuinely liked about the book. Well, there you go. (laughs) Yeah, uh, the book being titled Infiltrator, I thought there was going to be a lot more intrigue with the infiltration, but the infiltrator just ends up being this guy who was blackmailed and ruins everything by instantly becoming a murderer. It's just one. It's just one of those dropped. One of those many tick boxes for this book that was just quickly dropped and moved on from. Yeah, it could have been called. I've got nothing way. I'm sorry. I've got nothing way. For it, this is how unenthused I am with with Infiltrator, <laughs> and somehow I still like it point one or point two more than the other fucking tied. Yeah, and that's uh, primarily just because in that checklist is a bunch of shit that I was interested in. I don't know. I've got nothing more to say about this book, guys. Me, me neither. I'm just tired talking about it. Even <laughs> oh. I like how, I like how the book is bound. You know, and- <laughs> yeah, it's a nice <laughs> cover. <laughs> oh man, I hope the writer's not listening to this. <laughs> well, I did caveat that I thought Weston was a good writer. Yeah, the writing it was engaging. The writing was skilled writing, and the book held my interest. It just felt like they were constrained by the by the imaginary checklist. Yeah, exactly. Well, probably not imaginary. Probably the actual checklist they were given for what they had to do. And that checklist was also be illogical. <laughs> Here, we need we need these these story setups to happen. Just, just make it make it happen somehow. We need this alien artifact specialist to come in and work in the lab. <laughs> when when we met him in the game, I was just like, "Can I shoot him?" <laughs> uh, he, well, he wasn't that bad in the game. No, in the to be to be fair, in the game, yeah. he's not. He's not as. And again, how the audiobook narrator played the character is completely different to how the character acts in the game. And I mean, I kind of buy that it's the same character, but he was a bit different as well. But well, that's another point, isn't it? There's never really a genuine continuity between these prequel books and the um, and the, the, the proper thing. Yeah. It's, it very rarely happens. No. Yeah, because no. you don't feel like Scott Devlin is really Zeus. 
Like there's no allusions to any of his past run-ins with the Predator or anything. It's only if there's like shared notes, right? Or if the original uh-huh. writer, like uh, one of the few prequels I loved, there was a bunch of comic prequel series for Mad Max Fury Road. But those were based off story notes from George Miller. And he developed, he likes to develop backstories for all his characters, including Furiosa. So they came back in comic book form and they were great. And they felt like self-contained but you got to learn about these characters beforehand. So sometimes it really works well, but if there's totally a disconnect between the writers in the game and uh, the, the author of a prequel novel, I guess it shows. It did have some, it did have some good horror moments. I will say like, so I know there was a lot of gore in the hallways, AJ, but like <laughs> some, some of the ways that the author described those were dark and creepy. And I appreciated that. Like there were some times where I'm like, okay, this is a horror vibe going on. So I do think that was a strength of the book, just the whole dark tone once everything went to hell. But yeah, there was too many nonsensical decisions, too many things that were alluded to that led to nowhere. Everything was too confined to the interior of this building to the point where even the characters are like, well, what else is here on this planet that we've been living on that's literally right next to our facility? And so there was just too much setup and not nearly enough exploration of everything that was presented, unfortunately. I wanted to really like this book, but in the end, it was like, yeah, it was okay. I kind of liked it. And again, it's weird with these things where like, I might like something and then we do this podcast and I hear all the points you guys make and I'm like, "Ah, yeah, that was an issue, huh? Wasn't it? So it kind of brings it down for me. Yeah, it's, I mean, I still probably give it a six. Like it was decent. I didn't hate it. I don't think it was bad. I just think that it had a lot of problems. Would you reread it? No. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Maybe 10 years. I don't know. Maybe when Fireteam Elite 2 comes out. Okay. Well, I have no plans to reread this one. (laughs) Again, not for another 10 years when I have to wonder if it really was that bad. Yeah. AJ, same? Yep, same. Right, I'm sick of talking about this book. Are we done? Oh, sorry, Me guys. Too. Sorry for the downer podcast. Sorry this has been a downer episode. Just didn't like the book. Hopefully you're still entertaining. Hey, if if you're an alien fan and you've read all the other books and you're looking for something to read that has a bunch of running around hallways and, and other monsters and, you know. If, if you're strapped for cash, though, I wouldn't bother. But, you know. Yeah, that's, that's me. That's me. If you're a complete, if you're a completionist, nothing we said is going to matter to you anyway. You're going to give it a go just to make your own opinion on it. I, I do the same. Yeah. Somebody, somebody could tell me it's shit, and I'd be like, you know what? I'll make my own mind up about that. <laughs> and then come on a podcast to go, yeah, it was shit. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, anyway, anyway. Adam, social me, boy. Okay, so if you'd like to go to our website, it's avpgalaxy.net, where we have news and feature articles and message boards if you'd like to enter in discussions with fellow fans. You can also find us on all the major social channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. If you search AVP Galaxy or Alien vs. Predator Galaxy, you're sure to find us. Also, YouTube, if you are listening to this podcast and would like to watch the podcast where you can see our faces as we talk, then uh, check out our YouTube channel. Yeah, you can see some exaggerated expressions and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. I just, you know, just in case people like that kind of thing. Wow. But if you'd like to follow me personally, it's at RidgeTop21 on both Instagram and Twitter. Hey, you can follow me at underscore Corporal Hicks on just Twitter. Um, That's Alien, Predator, Stargate, Star Trek, um, Airsoft, all my other interests outside of, well, including Alien and Predator. And you can follow me on Twitter at FN Voodoo Magic. And if you want a bottle of Xenomorph Defender, just send me a message. 
<laughs> and you'll get stress relief. <laughs> Eucalyptus spearmint body wash. Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, thank you everybody for listening or watching. This has been Corporal Hicks, Bridge Top, and Voodoo Magic. Signing off.